This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, June twenty-third, two thousand and twenty-three. We we actually have sunshine out this morning. First time that we have had sunshine here uh, in the the week. I mean, it has been an absolutely brutal week here in terms of weather, but. Uh, uh, the sun is shining, and uh, it's, it promises to be a good weekend, so looking forward to it. My daughter flying down from uh, Connecticut to uh, spend my birthday with me. Tomorrow is my 63rd birthday, so she is flying down to uh, spend my birthday uh, with me here. It's the first time she's been down since we moved, so uh, looking forward to that. Um, so yesterday, the uh, I was going to get on the air and had everything prepped and ready to go, and I come down and my computer had been updating and it continued to update. So I wasn't able to operate the station because it was in the middle of updates. And once that process starts, you can't stop it. And for whatever reason, this update from uh, update to Windows took until about 11 o'clock in the morning. So it boggles my mind. But uh, I apologize for not being able to get on yesterday. But that's really what uh, what the issue was. Uh, we got some bad news yesterday that uh, it was confirmed, and not really a huge surprise, but it was confirmed that the uh, submersible that went down to the Titanic um, suffered exactly what everybody thought, which was a catastrophic implosion, and everybody on board was uh, was killed. They sent a uh, robot submersible down there, a uh, and uh, they found a debris field. And uh, then they later found uh, the nose cone of the uh, the, the uh, area where everybody was sitting. And then they found the, uh, the aft part of it. And uh, come to find out that on Sunday, right after this thing had gone down, about two hours after it had gone down, the Navy actually had picked up on some kind of a, an explosion. And it was reported, and the Navy, you know, said, well, we still need to to do this, uh, you know, because we don't know for sure that's what it was. But um, it turns out that that is very likely what it was, that uh, that this thing actually uh, imploded on uh, Sunday morning about an hour and 45 minutes after it went down. When contact was lost, that was probably uh, when it all ended for the five people that were on board. So... Uh, sad ending, and unfortunately, not an unexpected ending. You know, I mean, it, you hate to say it like that, but uh, everybody knew it was a long shot, and uh, uh, it's it's just too bad. Uh, what what is also too bad is these idiots. Now we have these uh, conservative uh, people on in the media 
uh, in politics and on social media blaming this disaster on being quote-unquote woke. I am so sick of that term because originally woke was supposed to be uh, people that have become aware of social injustices, right? It was like, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, everybody's paying attention to what's going on, uh, you know, with police brutality and what's going on with the black community with uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the inordinate amount of uh, uh, abuse that they are taking from law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what it all started out of. But now the conservatives have taken it basically anything that they don't agree with or anything that even uh, smells a little bit of, of the fact that you might be a liberal, now that uh, they've taken that and, and that means it's woke. And now th- they've decided that the, all the people that died on this are dead because of wokeness. Because the guy who was the CEO said that he wouldn't hire a bunch of uh, old white men who knew how to command submarines and... Uh, and would would uh, help do things the right way in his company because he didn't want to do that because you know he didn't want to hire fifty year old white guys um, he was woke and that's why everybody's dead so basically saying well because white people weren't involved <laughs> old white people weren't involved uh, that's why these people are, I mean it is the most ludicrous thing ever and the fact that people are are listening to this crap is just amazing. You know, look, these people are dead because they took a risk. You know, what this guy that that started this company was doing was risky to begin with. Did they cut corners? I don't know if they cut corners, but they were trying to do things other. You know, the, the, the hull was made of carbon fiber as opposed to being made of metal. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are, are naval architects that say, you know, just, they just don't think carbon fiber is strong enough yet. And so, you know, so there were some things done that maybe, you know, the military wouldn't have done, but this was a private enterprise. And all these people that went down there, they knew the risk before they left. They had to sign waivers. They knew what was going on and they, they were doing it for the thrill. It's no different than somebody who goes skydiving or, uh, you know, uh, remember that idiot that went way up in a balloon and jumped out of a balloon like, I don't know, uh, you know, 100,000 feet up, he was almost in space, and he jumped out and, you know, plummeted back down to Earth. Remember that idiot? But that's what these people do. It's, you know, it's no different than what Blue Origin was doing when they took uh, passengers up in space, when Bill, uh, William Shatner and a bunch of other people uh, went up in space for a joyride. You know, it's a risk. It's the thrill. It's what people do. People have been doing stupid things like that for years. And people have died for years. So this has nothing to do with wokeness. This has to do with a matter of, hey, we want to do something, and you know, we want to do it for the adrenaline rush. And sometimes those things go awry, and this is simply a case of that. Is it tragic? Absolutely. Do you feel badly for the families? Absolutely. But these guys knew what they were getting into. Uh, but it has absolutely nothing to do with a liberal, conservative, or anything else. And for people to drag that into it is, A, wrong, B, stupid, and C, kind of disgusting.
I mean, come on. You know what I mean? It's just, come on. So, anyway, that's uh, uh, a sad ending, but not an unexpected ending uh, to that saga that we all followed uh, over the weekend. Um, NBA draft last night. Um, no surprises really early. Uh, Victor Wembanyama was the number one pick. He was Everybody knew he was going to be the number one pick. There was no surprise there. He goes to the San Antonio Spurs. Look, this kid's... Uh, 19 years old. He's seven foot four. He can dribble. He can shoot the three. Uh, this kid can do everything. He, you know, they're calling him a generational talent. And if this kid, look, I've seen, you know, some highlights of what this kid can do at 19. If this kid can translate that into the NBA, he may become one of the best players in the history of the NBA. The, people are saying that th- this is the best talent to come into the NBA probably since LeBron James came right out of high school back in, what, 2003. I mean, what everybody, what what this kid can do is ridiculous. I saw a highlight of this kid. He takes a three-point shot, followed, missed it, followed his own shot, took the ball out of the air, and dunked it. It was unreal. There was a picture the other day. He threw out the first pitch of a Yankee game at the Yankees game. And there was a picture on Twitter of him holding a baseball. And I'm not kidding, folks. This kid's hands are so big. This baseball looked in his hand like a golf ball would look in your hand. Honest to God, his his hand is so huge, the baseball disappeared. <laughs> Un. Believable. So anyway, no surprise there. Um, I guess a, the only a, a little bit of a surprise uh, was the number two pick, where Brandon Miller from Alabama went number two to the Charlotte Hornets. Scoot Henderson, who everybody thought was going to be the number two pick, ended up going number three to the Portland Trailblazers. Um, and and then uh, uh, what was really cool was number four and five. Uh, identical twins, Amen and Asur Thompson, became the first brothers uh, selected in the top ten of the same draft. Uh, Amen went to the Houston Rockets, and Asur went to the Detroit Pistons. These kids literally are uh, identical twins. I've, I've seen, I saw a couple of interviews with them. They didn't go, even go to high school; uh, they were homeschooled, and then they went. To, they played at Overtime Elite, which has become a uh, basically. Uh, a league for the top 16 to 20-year-old 20, 20 uh, players in the country where they go play in this league and, uh, you know, they do the homeschooling thing. Uh, and these kids are, uh, look, they, I saw interviews with them and their parents. These kids are smart, very well-spoken. The mom and dad are obviously highly intelligent, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, some some. People just have the genes in the family to have brains and ability. It always amazed me, you know, uh, all the years of uh, uh, broadcasting games in high school and college. And, you know, you, you see all these great athletes a lot of times. Now, not so much necessarily at the Division One level, but when I was broadcasting uh, lower levels of basketball, when I was uh, broadcasting Wesleyan and Williams and Amherst, and, you know, they're called the little Ivy schools. And you see all these kids that not only are they the, are they the greatest uh, players on their teams or in their league, 
they're also the smartest kid in the school. You know, carrying a 4-0, going to be the valedictorian of their class. And, by the way, they're averaging 25 points a game. I mean, just ridiculous. And, and you know, some people just have that. So uh, not a lot of surprises at the draft. The Celtics um, made a huge trade the day before the draft, surprisingly sending Marcus Smart uh, to the Memphis Grizzlies. It was a three-team trade. Uh, with the Grizzlies and the Washington Wizards, the Celtics got back Kristaps uh, Porzingis, who is a hell of a player. He's seven foot three. Uh, he is going to give the Celtics an inside presence that they have needed like nobody's business. Uh, the Celtics are going going to be really good. Now they traded away their point guard in Marcus Smart, but hey, look, um, you know White really kind of stepped up and became their point guard last year, and. There's been some questions about Smart. I mean, a lot of people, we love Marcus Smart because he's accountable. Uh, he's kind of was the glue that held that team together. Not afraid to say that when he sucked, he sucked. But he's also been kind of a, a lightning rod in that he his shot selection hasn't been the best. Uh, sometimes uh, the turnovers in the last uh, couple of years have been a little shaky. Uh, his defense has taken a step backwards. Uh, so... I think this was a good move for the Celtics as long as they can find that leader. That's the one thing. That's the thing that scares me is that Smart was, as I said, he was the glue. And he loved the Celtics. He did not want to leave. He thought he would retire as a Celtic. And, you know, by all accounts, he said he felt like it was a gut punch when he got traded. But then realized, oh, well, it's a business and it is what it is. But anyway, so the Celtics did that. And they got themselves, by getting uh, Porzingis, they also got themselves a first-round draft pick. Uh, they ended up trading that away. They ended up making about four or five trades on draft night. They eventually ended up picking number 38, which was towards the uh, middle of the second round. Uh, and they got Jordan Walsh um, out of Arkansas. And Walsh is a project. You know, he is uh, he's a 6'7". Not much of a scorer. He's really uh, known more for his defensive game than anything else. But this is a guy that is uh, going to be – he's raw talent. He's going to be a project. Don't expect him to see him in the Celtics lineup last year. He's probably going to – next year, he's probably going to be in the G League. Um, but the kid's got some talent. But the Celtics got what they needed in Porzingis. There's no question about that. Um, and the other thing they got is they got themselves some, uh, like I think, three or four – additional second-round selections uh, for next year uh, with all the trades that they made yesterday. So uh, didn't end up in the first round as they thought, but, again, I'm not sure that they needed to for this coming year. Well, look, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum still there um, and, and the, uh, the emergence of Derek White last year, they still have Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, you know, they still um, have a – one of the best lineups in the NBA. They are going to be a handful, you know, and they were a handful this year until they got into the playoffs and we saw how that went. So, you know, uh, they need to go a little bit farther for people to get too excited. But uh, anyway, so that's what the Celtics did yesterday. Um, UConn had a couple of guys drafted. Um, the first one that went, of course, was Jordan Hawkins. Uh, he went in the 14th pick. He went to the New Orleans Pelicans, and uh, he's pretty excited about that. Uh, and then later, uh, Andre Jackson was drafted early in the second round by the Orlando Magic. Uh, Adama Sanogo surprisingly did not 
get drafted. I was shocked by that, to be honest with you. But uh, he already has a deal in place to go to the Milwaukee Bucks, or excuse me, the Chicago Bulls. He talked to the Bulls immediately after the draft, and uh, he is going to go play in their summer league team, try to earn his spot there. Look, 58 players were taken in this draft. You're not going to tell me that Adama Sanogo wasn't as good uh, as uh, or better than some of those guys that were taken. But, you know, the fact that he played center in college and that he is an undersized center, uh, that doesn't sit well necessarily with NBA general managers. So that kind of explains probably why he didn't go. Uh, at the draft last night, by the way, Danny Hurley was there, the UConn coach. And Danny Hurley was a very happy man yesterday. Got a new contract from UConn, six years, $32 million. That'll take him through the 2029 season. means he's going to make an average of $5.35 million a season. That's up from the $3 million he got, by the way, last year. Uh, and there are there are incentives in the deal that could push the compensation even higher. Uh, but, uh, look, he's 50 years old, 104 wins, 55 losses since he took over in March of 2018. Fifth national title for the program last year when they went 31-8. and eight. Uh, You know, they're going to have to reload. They lost a lot of guys. But their recruiting class was really, really good. And this guy can coach. You know, uh, there's stuff about him that drives me nuts. I think he's a little bit too intense at times. I think he mouths off to the officials way too much. He's actually cost them a couple of games because he doesn't know when to shut his mouth. But you can't deny this guy can coach. And his players love playing for him. Uh, you know, and, and look, you know, it was kind of Jim Calhoun was kind of the same way. He's a little bit uh, from that. Uh, same mold, so uh, good for him. Six years, thirty-two million bucks. And by the way, UConn says the increase in his salary is going to be covered uh, by donations to the Husky Athletic Fund. So basically, uh, by uh, you know donations, uh, you know to their to their athletic fund. And uh, that's that's by the way, that's how UConn does a lot of this stuff with their coaches. They may be making a lot of money. Only some of it's coming out of the regular budget. The rest of it comes out of uh, of the athletic fund, and that's very common. Uh, in Division I uh, universities. And by the way, uh, speaking of UConn, there was an interview. Uh, Gina Oriema, the women's basketball coach, was interviewed the other day. Um, he has an annual charity golf tournament, and uh, there was a reporter there interviewing him for television, and it was classic Gina Oriema. You know, because everybody still wants to talk about how UConn lost to Ohio State in the Sweet 16. You know, they broke their streak. They didn't make, you know, 14 consecutive Final Fours. And, you know, he's like, this was a great, I got to read this to you. He says, this isn't a 70s, 1970s rock band out for their 60th tour, and they have to give every tour a name. He says, you know, everybody's got a redeemed team. Everybody's got a reloaded team. Everybody's got an unfinished business team. And everybody's got, you know, all the stuff going on. He says, so maybe, you know, we're not very social media savvy. He says, how about we just shut the F up and win games? That was beautiful. How about we just do that, he says. Maybe that's what the tour should be, the shut the F up and win games tour. Oh, my God, it was great. And you know what? He is 100% right. Part of the problem with having... You know, a lot of idiots like me with uh, radio shows and podcasts and uh, the 24-hour news cycle and 87 million cable channels and uh, social media outlets, it's become too much. 
Everybody wants to beat everything to death. And Cheeto's over it. How about we just shut the F up? Classic. And I'll tell you what, with Paige Becker's back and Ice Brady healthy and uh, AZ Fudd healthy, uh, UConn is going to be a handful. And from all accounts, uh, Paige Becker's is in the best shape of her career. Uh, and uh, she's already kind of forgotten about the you know the knee injury and she's just playing. And uh, she's going to be... You know, look, as a freshman, she was the best player in the country, right? She won, you know, best rookie, best player, all world, everything. And she is going to be that good again, if not better, according to what Gino R.E.M. is saying. So uh, if, you, if you're a women's basketball fan, UConn is going to be a team to watch again this year. Um, before we get to baseball, one other note, uh, Deion Sanders the new head coach of the University of Colorado, is having surgery today on both of his legs. They have found a blood clot in each leg. Uh, This is something that has kind of plagued Dion uh, after his playing career. He actually has had to have uh, two toes uh, removed, amputated, uh, on one of his uh, legs uh, on his left foot, I think it was, back in 2021 because of blood clot issues while he was the coach at Jackson State. And, look, blood clots are dangerous. If one of those shakes loose, gets into your heart, and, you know, it's over. Uh, but uh, he's having the surgery to help to try to improve the circulation in both of his legs. And, you know, he said there's no talk of amputation. He says there's none of, none of that. Uh, he says I'm not going anywhere. He said we're coming. You know, and look, say what you want about Dion. He drives me nuts because, you know, what he's done at Colorado, where he basically cleaned house and brought in a whole bunch of new players, and he's talking the talk now. And and he and he even said this. He says because I'm going to talk my talk, I've got to walk my walk. So uh, I'm going to get this surgery, and uh, and you know we're going to be okay. So uh, whether you like Dion or not, you got to admire the fact that. Uh, uh, he's not afraid to speak his mind, and he's not afraid to back it up. So uh, we wish him well. Hopefully uh, the surgery uh, uh, takes care of that problem. Um, uh, some baseball news uh, off the field yesterday. Rob Manfred just gave an interview to Time Magazine talking about a variety of things, and one of them was the Houston Astros st- uh, sign-stealing scandal from 2017 and 2018. And he actually came out and said that he doesn't think he did the right thing. He said, if I could go back and do it again, um, I might not have given the players immunity. I might have started the investigation without giving immunity and seeing where that takes me. It might have taken a little more time, but it might have led to a different outcome. And, you know, that's great. I mean, you know, I it's great to hear, but he's right, and that's what he should have done. The fact that the players all walked away scot-free, basically saying, yep, we cheated, what are you going to do about it? And the answer is you can't do anything because you gave us immunity. And now you have guys like Altuve 
and Bregman and Correa, et cetera, et cetera, walking around the league strutting because they, you know, they won a title while they cheated. And that is going to follow them for the rest of their lives. And the fact that they didn't get suspended doesn't sit well with other players in the league. And we have constantly seen guys like Correa and Altuve and Bregman get yelled at by other players in the league calling them cheaters. It's still happening this year. Just the other day, I can't remember who it was, but somebody struck out uh, Carlos Correa to end a game and yelled at him and called him a cheater. You know, and maybe maybe the players would have felt a little bit better had there been some accountability, but there wasn't. Who got the accountability? The general manager lost his job. He had to fall on his sword. Uh, the, the manager, A.J. Hinch, got suspended. The bench coach, Alex Cora, got suspended. So the, uh, the head of the snake took the hit while all the players that were involved in it and helped refine it got away, and, and, and by the way, and benefit from it, got away with no punishment. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's great to hear that, but, but he, he's right. That's what he should have done. The other thing he said was that he, uh, he regrets uh, one time calling the World, Sophie, uh, World Series trophy a piece of metal. That didn't sit well with folks in baseball either. And, you know, he said there have been times, particularly in times of pressure, when I look back and I take a little more time that I might have said something different or might have led to a different outcome. <laughs> so, you know, uh, basically admitted that, you know what, he shoots from the hip a little bit too much. And not only that, he does some stupid things, you know, and and he's done a lot of things that have driven me nuts. But the fact that they've made those changes in baseball this year to get us to where the games are watchable again, you know, the, the pitch clock, the lack of the shifts, et cetera, um, I have to give him credit for that. Now, it was Theo Epstein and, 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 a, and a committee that kind of did the uh, the grunt work on this, but the fact that Rob Manfred signed off on this, it doesn't it doesn't give him a pass for all the stupid things he's done. But this, in my mind, this might be the greatest thing that Rob Manfred has done uh, since he's become commissioner because I can now turn on a game at 7 o'clock or 7.30 and have it be over before 10 o'clock, and I can get to bed. I can actually watch I can turn a West Coast game on that starts at 10 o'clock and have the thing be over around midnight, and I can watch the late game and go to bed and get some sleep. There was no way that was happening the last 15, 20 years. Now it's possible. It's the way it used to be, and I know, I again, sound like the old man get off my lawn guy, but it has made baseball watchable and more relevant again. It's 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. And uh, a lot of matinee baseball yesterday. Most of the uh, action in the majors was yesterday afternoon. Started out with the Red Sox playing in Minnesota uh, at 1 o'clock Eastern time yesterday afternoon, and it was a train wreck uh, if you are a Boston fan. Um, look, Sox have really turned things around. They've gotten themselves back to within just a couple of games of the wild card spot. And, again, I've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. 
I don't know whether to believe or not to believe. Uh, you know, they've still won six of the last ten, but now they've lost the last two to the Twins. They get shut out yesterday, six nothing. They got three hits. Uh, Joe Ryan pitched a uh, three hitter for the Twins. It was the first police, uh, complete game shutout for the Twins in five years. Um, you know, they did not throw anybody of uh, significance yesterday, not to take anything away from the guys that did throw, uh, but, uh, uh, they started the Garza, a reliever. He got, he was the opener. He gave up four hits and three runs in, uh, in, uh, in inning plus. They finally get him out of there in the second inning because he, he's given up two home runs already. And, uh, they had called up, um, a kid out of the minor leagues and uh, Brandon Walter. And Brandon Walter's numbers down in the minors were not very good. So they, they bring Walter into the game, make his major de- league debut. It was kind of cool. His parents were there. And uh, he, the first three guys he faced all got on base. Ended up giving up a home run to uh, Byron Buxton, the first, uh, second one he had hit in the game. But after that, the kid settled down. And he really saved the Red Sox bullpen yesterday, you know, uh, because they've got a they, they had no day off, and then they've got a weekend series at Chicago against the White Sox. And Walter came in and he pitched six and two thirds innings yesterday. He ends up giving up, I think, four hits, or no, excuse me, six hits and three runs, and uh, did a hell of a job. Threw ninety-two pitches. You know, this is a kid. They got more out of this kid than they could have hoped for, you know, and then they have to go get the Jakes out of the bullpen. He comes in and he pitches the final, you know, gets the last out. But uh, a great job for that kid yesterday. And, uh, you know, so the Sox lose the game. Minnesota gets back to 500. Uh, they still lead the NL or the AL Central by a game now over the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, but uh, that was a tough one to take for the Red Sox. So they split the four-game series, which isn't the end of the world. You'd like to have the series win, but it is what it is. The problem that the Red Sox have now is that the injuries are starting to pile up. Um, now they have lost Reese McGuire, one of their catchers, for at least at least 10 days. But he went on the injured list on uh Wednesday, he pulled an oblique muscle or strained an oblique muscle in his side on a swing and had to leave the game, and they put him on the injured list yesterday. And, uh, look, I am I have been suffering with a strained oblique for a long time now. I realize I'm, you know, 60-plus years old, but that's one of those things where if you just – if you don't stop and just give it complete rest, it takes a long time to go away. And, of course, at my age – you know, and I'm down here trying to, you know, build gardens and build chicken coops and do all this other stuff. I don't ever give it any rest. Now, Reese McGuire is less than half my age, and he's going to be a lot faster healer. And the Red Sox are going to probably put him in a bubble and say, hey, do nothing. Uh, so hopefully they can get that ready. But he's probably going to be out a couple of weeks. So they've had to call up Caleb Hamilton from the minor leagues uh, to fill that spot. Alex Verdugo, uh, who has been the best player probably on the Red Sox, this season is going to be missing the next four games uh, or next three games. He missed yesterday's game. He's on the bereavement list. His grandmother passed away, and so he is going to be attending uh, the services for his grandmother. So he's going to be missing the entire weekend series against the White Sox. So they're going to be down a man there. Uh, Pablo Reyes tried to play again yesterday, 
but he had to leave the game in the fourth inning with this abdominal strain. The same thing happened to him on Tuesday. Uh, so he could be headed for the injured list as well. They've already brought up David Hamilton, who got his first major league hit yesterday. But they are in a situation now uh, where they're putting this together with Band-Aids and bailing wire. I mean, obviously, no no Chris Sale, right? So uh, you're, you're already missing Sale. Uh, oh, by the way, they put uh, – Corey Kluber on the injured list. I was begging for them to just release him, but now they've said that uh, he—it's a mystery injury, injury. He suddenly has a shoulder soreness, so they've shut him down, uh, so they could go to the minors and you know and bring up some other people. Because as I said, uh, somebody with an ERA of seven in the minors has to be better than Corey Kluber's been, and that's exactly what they brought up yesterday in Walker, and he did a pretty good job. Or, I mean, Walter. So, and they're probably going to send Walter back down and bring somebody else back up, but. Uh, right now, the injuries are starting to pile up, and uh, that has to be a concern uh, if you are uh, Alex Cora and Bloom. So they start a series against the White Sox. The White Sox stink. They're 12 games under 500. they They're 32-44. They've lost seven of their last ten. This is one of those series. You go into it, and you're going, you got to win this series. you got to win two out of three. It would be great if you swept, but you have to win two out of three against a team that is 32-44. and 44. Brian Bayo is going to pitch tonight. Uh, in his last 10 starts, bayo has been ridiculous. 4-3 and three with a 2.86 ERA. Uh, Lucas Giolito is going to get the start for the uh, White Sox in this game. Uh, Giolito has not been as great as he has been in the past, but his, he's 5-4, and four, but his ERA is still in the mid-three. So uh, he will give them a solid outing today. So uh, they're going to need a good outing out of Bayo today. Uh, Paxton's going to pitch over the weekend. And, and so hopefully the Red Sox can win two out of three. They really need to. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And by the way, there has been no thought about giving Nick Pavetta a start. Uh, I thought maybe they might do that yesterday. Alex Cora was asked about it yesterday. They said they love what he's done in the bullpen. They're going to leave him right there. And they're just, you know, every time that fifth spot in the rotation comes up right now, they are just going to try to figure it out. You know, while Tanner Houck is out uh, getting surgery on I, I think he has the surgery today or or maybe it's Monday. Uh, to put that plate in his face where he got struck just below the eye in the game against the Yankees. Uh, and he's going to be out probably for at least a month. So for now, the Red Sox are saying they're just going to, you know, try to piece it together as best they can. And every fifth day, maybe one of those bullpen games where it's, you know, you start a guy, hope he goes an inning or two, and then you bring in a guy like maybe Pavetta or, uh, you know, somebody like that or Winkowski or that can give you multiple innings. And uh, they just try to piece it together. So we'll see how long that works. I'm a little skeptical that that's going to keep you in the race in the long term. But again, maybe it's you know, maybe it's better if they don't stay in the race. I don't know. I really don't at this point. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball, at least record-wise, uh, loses yesterday to the Kansas City Royals. And this is, by the way, where I say, you know, the the White Sox stink. You got to beat them. Well, the Kansas City Royals, folks, going into last night's game were 20-54. and 54. They, they had uh, the second-worst record in baseball behind the Oakland Athletics, yet somehow they beat the team that has the most wins in baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, last night. They beat them 6-5. to five. Uh, So, you know, there's no guarantees in baseball. Uh, some of this happened because 
Ryan McClanahan, who is the ace, or Shane McClanahan, excuse me, who is the ace of the Tampa staff, uh, had to leave the game with a back injury. It's something that he had kind of felt his previous start, was managing it, was working through it, and uh, yesterday it flared up, and he ended up uh, having to leave the game and uh, don't know how long he's going to be out. But, uh, look, this is a guy that had already won 11 games this season for the Rays. And uh, he has to leave after 66 pitches last night. So that didn't help. But then, uh, really, this was still a close game uh, until late. And then the uh, Royals, with a run in the seventh, two in the eighth, and another run in the ninth, end up winning this thing. Uh, six to five. Our oldest Chapman gets the win. He pitched a scoreless eighth. He struck out all three guys he faced, and he hit 102 and a half on the radar gun. So whatever issues he was having when he was with the Yankees before they let him go, uh, he seems to have figured it out, and uh, he has been pretty good for the Royals as an ERA of uh, 2.7, and he seems to have that old juice back. But maybe the key here is that they don't have him closing, right? They have him uh, – as a setup guy, and maybe taking that pressure off of him uh, has helped. Uh, Scott Barlow picked up the save for the Royals last night, his uh, ninth of the season. But uh, that's that was certainly a game uh, you were not expecting last night. Tonight, the two teams will play against Zach Eflin, who is eight and three for the Rays. Will take on Zach Greinke, uh the 39-year-old for the Royals, who is one and seven this season. 45 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. 47 minutes past. Yeah, right. One more note on the Rays. Uh, their best player, uh, Wander Franco, did not play yesterday for the Rays, and he is not going to play in the game today either against the Royals. He's been benched uh, by Kevin Cash, uh, the manager for the Rays. Basically... Uh, because of the way that he has responded to adversary this year, he has at times when things don't go his well uh, his way, uh, he won't run out ground balls. Uh, he throws helmets. He's been throwing bats. Basically, acting like a petulant little child. You know. Now, the one thing we have to remember about Franco is he's only twenty two years old. Right, he came up a few years ago when he was still a teenager, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, you know, how look at this kid!" And look, he's very talented. He's hitting two eighty seven this year. He's got eight homers, thirty four runs batted in. He's stolen twenty four bases. This kid is one of the most talented players in baseball. But we have to remember he's still twenty two years old, and at times, just like we have to, and you know, you hate to say this with a twenty two year old kid, but at times, right, when we're raising our kids and they're throwing temper tantrums. You know, there are times you have to, you have to, it's time for a timeout, you know, Uh, (laughs) it's, you know, and that's essentially what they're going to do. And they're hoping, and he said, look, uh, you know, Kevin Cash said, look, Wander's a really good kid. He's a good person, uh, but he's a young player that's learning and dealing with the challenges of being a major league player and some of the frustrations that come with it. So basically trying, just trying to teach him, you know, don't act like an idiot. That's the long and the short of it. So uh, he'll they'll be without him again today. Uh, the Yankees got hammered yesterday. Don't you hate to hear that? Uh, they got beat by the Seattle Mariners yesterday, ten to two. And this was actually a ten nothing game. The Yankees scored uh, a couple of consolation runs in the uh, ninth inning. But Domingo Herman 
has been struggling mightily. And yesterday, in three and a third innings, he gave up eight hits, ten runs, and four, count them, four home runs. <laughs> I mean, holy cow. Uh, Ty France hit one off of him. Teoscar Hernandez hit one. Cal Raleigh hit one. And Colton Wong, who, hadn't, who was hitting 154 and hadn't hit a home run all year, hit one off of him. That's how bad Domingo Herman was yesterday. Uh, just an absolutely brutal start. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, that was one of those games. It was so bad. They had to go to a position player to pitch. Uh, Isaiah Kainafalefa pitched the ninth inning for the Yankees, pitched a scoreless ninth inning guy who's kind of their utility guy, uh, plays shortstop, also plays in the outfield. And, uh, so the Yankees, uh, lose and, uh, they have lost six of the last 10. They are now nine and a half back. Uh, of the Tampa Bay Rays, still sitting in wild card spot. So, look, the Red Sox would take the Yankees' position all day long. Uh, but again, the Yankees struggle offensively without having uh, Aaron Judge in the lineup. They also had to put Willie Calhoun on the injured list yesterday. He's got a uh, a, a quadricep strain. Uh, so, you know, they are really struggling to find offense. And when your pitching staff can't keep you in games, that's a problem. Um, the Yankees will take on the Texas Rangers over the weekend. The Texas Rangers are the highest-scoring team in baseball right now. Clark Schmidt, who has an ERA of almost five, is going to be asked to take on the Rangers. Good luck. Uh, the Yankees could be in trouble this weekend. The Mariners will face the Baltimore Orioles this weekend. Another uh, great matchup. The Orioles sitting in second place in the AL East. They had yesterday off, um, and it'll be um, Logan Gilbert for the Mariners and Kyle Gibson, who is eight and 8-4, with a 3.94 ERA, will get the start for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, the Miami Marlins win again yesterday. Garrett Cooper, a three-run homer in a five-run eighth inning for the Marlins, is the difference in this one, and they uh, they win the game over the Pirates six to four. Um, both starting pitchers were really good. Uh, Mitch Keller for Pittsburgh went seven innings, gave up just one run, five hits, struck out five, didn't walk anybody. Uh, Braxton Garrett for the Marlins, seven innings, three hits, just one earned run, struck out 13, didn't walk anybody. But the, it was the bullpen that was the difference. Uh, the Pirates' bullpen implodes in that uh, five-run eighth inning, and the Marlins win. The Marlins now are six games back of Atlanta because Atlanta wins again yesterday, but the Marlins stay hot. And the Pittsburgh Pirates have now lost 10 in a row. This is a Pirates team that a week and a half ago was in first place in the NL Central. And they have now lost 10 straight. Uh, of course, the Cincinnati Reds, who had yesterday off, have won 11 straight. That's why they sit right now uh, in first place in the NL Central. But uh, nothing going right for the Pittsburgh Pirates right now. Uh, those two teams will play again Tonight, Saturday, and Sunday, Luis Ortiz will get the starts for the uh, the Pirates today. Jesus Lazardo, looking for his seventh win of the season, will start for the Marlins. Uh, the Padres beat the San Francisco Giants yesterday. The Giants' uh, 10-game winning streak is over. But that 10-game winning streak has the Giants now from fourth place all the way up to second place in the NL West, just three and a half games back of Arizona. Manny Machado, Gary Sanchez each hit three-run home runs uh, for the Padres. Blake Snell 
picks up the win. It was his third straight decision. He's now four and six this season since signing with the Padres. Uh, Gary Sanchez isn't exactly hitting the cover off the ball in terms of average. He's only hitting 214. But in 22 games since joining the Padres, he has hit seven home runs and driven in 22. So uh, he has been a welcome addition uh, to that Padres team, just gives them one more weapon. Uh, the Padres have a weekend series with the Washington Nationals. That should help them get healthy. Uh, but this is a, a the best matchup of the weekend. First place, Arizona, against second place, San Francisco. Um, it's going to be uh, Logan Webb getting the start for the Giants tonight, and Zach Davies will get the start for the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, 16 games over 500, but the San Francisco Giants, uh, one of the hotter teams in baseball despite losing last night. That should be a great series to watch this weekend. Uh, the Diamondbacks won last night. They beat the Nationals 5-3. to Cattell Marte uh, with a three-run home run in this one. This was supposed to be an off day for both these teams, but this was a makeup game um, from June 8th. The game had to be uh, postponed because of poor air quality from the Canadian wildfires. So uh, both teams on their off day got together in Washington to make this one up, and the Diamondbacks uh, come away with the victory. The Braves, as I said, win last night. They beat the Phillies 5-1. to one. The Braves scored all five of their runs in the 10th inning. Marcel Ozuna, a two-run home run as part of that, and uh, uh, the Phillies end up uh, losing the Braves will play the Cincinnati Reds this weekend, two of the hottest teams in baseball. Again, the Braves looking uh, to keep their winning streak going. They've won eight in a row, and the Reds have won 11 in a row. Can't wait to see that. Uh, uh, Sauver will get the start for the Braves tonight, and it'll be Luke Weaver getting the start for the Cincinnati Reds and the Phillies with a weekend series against the New York Mets. Uh, the Oakland Athletics lose again. Shocking. Uh, they lose to the Cleveland Guardians 6-1. to one. Uh, The Travelers Championship in Cromwell, Connecticut. Uh, Denny McCarthy shoots a 10-under par 60 uh, as the uh, pros carve up uh, the TPC at River Highlands once again. Uh, he was actually just a couple of inches away from shooting a 59, uh, which would have been amazing. But uh, he shoots a 60. He's in first. Keegan Bradley and Adam Scott uh, both at 8-under par with a 62, Keegan Bradley, the 37-year-old from Vermont, always plays well uh, at the Travelers. Scotty Scheffler, the world's number one player, finished with a 7-under par 63. By the way, the Travelers uh, was named as one of the uh, uh, designated events this year by the PGA Tour. So the purse was raised from $8.3 million last year to $20 million this year. So the winner of this event will take home a cool $3.6 million. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday, I think. My daughter's going to be here, but uh, we're still planning on doing the show on Monday. Uh, and uh, it was Chris Christopherson's 87th birthday yesterday. Uh, not in great health anymore, but uh, one of the greatest songwriters in the history of songwriting uh, turned 87 yesterday. So uh, in honor of that, here is Why Me. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.